Well, today we uh, come to the conclusion of our sermon series from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, and just in case maybe this is your first Sunday with us or uh, maybe you missed a Sunday when we kind of talked a little bit about the background of the letter. I'm just going to do a quick recap. The context of the letter of Philippians is that the Apostle Paul is under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He's awaiting trial before Caesar, who is the most powerful man in the Western world, rules over Western Europe and Northern Africa and the Middle East. And if the trial doesn't go well, the Apostle Paul could be executed, will be executed. He's, uh, the letter is being written to, to thank the church in Philippi. It's a church that he planted a, a number of years before that. They have a great relationship. They think fondly of him and he is fond of them. And um, they have heard about his uh, situation. And so they sent a man named Epaphroditus, a well-regarded man. And Epaphroditus brings along with him um, a, a love offering to kind of help meet some of Paul's needs. He's isolated. He's chained. He's not in a good situation. He has no way of making a living for himself. And so they send him a love offering to kind of thank him for what he's done for them over the years. And Paul, as you can probably tell, as he concludes this letter, um, he thanks them for the offerings. He says, you of all the churches were the most faithful. And then he launches into what he's learned from his situation. He says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. You probably already figured it out from the, the sermon title on the front of the worship guide. But we're looking at the topic of contentment. Historian Arthur M. Schlesinger Jr. observes that our society, talking about Western society, talking about U.S. society, is marked by what he calls an inextinguishable discontent. He says our quest is always for more. We're always reaching for what's next, for what's what's better. We want a better job with better pay, with a better boss, with better work conditions. We want better relationships or a better car, a better backhand in tennis, a better jump shot, a better drive in golf. We have a propensity, he says, to live endlessly for the next thing, the next weekend, the next vacation the next purchase, the next big game, the next experience. It seems in general we are never satisfied, never content, and envious of those who have what we used to have, no longer have, or have what we want but don't have yet. The Apostle Paul says this about contentment. Verse 11, I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Remember circumstances? Jail, chained, house arrest, chained to a guard, awaiting trial, possible execution. So how could he make such a bold statement? I've learned to be content. Well, because he knows that true contentment lies not in what he has or what he's experiencing. True contentment comes from whose he is. Let me explain. When we come into relationship with with God through faith in Jesus Christ, something very important for us to grasp is who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, and what we receive because of that. So, for example, when we come into relationship with Christ, the Bible tells us that we become a new creation, that we're born again. Uh, We're called children of God. We're sinners saved by grace and so on and so forth. And we receive 
uh, forgiveness and the promise of heaven. And I think sometimes the problem of contentment or a lack of contentment comes from our, our focus. You see, when we when we focus on the horizontal plane, when we look at the world around us, we look at the people around us, it can be very easy to become dissatisfied because there's always going to be somebody who has more than we do, who has better relationships or the kids are doing better in life or you're making they're making more money or, 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 or whatever it might be, better vacation experiences, whatever it might be. There's always going to be somebody around us when we look at the world around us in a horizontal plane who has more, who has better, who has what we don't have. But if we, we look on the vertical plane, if we look up to God, we look in his direction, regardless of, of what we have or don't have. We can learn, as Paul did, that God is enough. There was a man who once went to a, a minister for counseling. He was in the midst of a, of a horrible financial collapse. He was going to lose everything. And he told the, the minister, I've lost everything. My life is ruined. And the pastor said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you've, you've lost your family. No, 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 I haven't lost my family. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you've, you've lost your, your faith. No, no, I, I, I haven't lost my faith. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that you've lost your character and core values. No, I haven't lost those either. Well, I'm terribly sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation. No, no, I didn't say that. I've not lost my salvation. Well, it seems to me, the minister said, you lost none of the things that really matter. Or we could pray like the, the old Puritan did, he, who sat down to a meal of bread and water, and he bowed his head and he declared, all of this and Jesus too. John Stott, the British theologian, wrote this about contentment. He writes, contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions, but excess. Our battle cry is not nothing but enough. We've got enough, he writes. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For the Christian, Paul tells us that contentment comes from knowing that when we know Jesus, it's enough. Now, contentment doesn't mean that we are willing to settle, that we don't have ambition, that we don't have goals, that we're apathetic, that we don't work to achieve or create or do. God gives us gifts. God gives us abilities. He gives us opportunities. We're created as an image. So we are called to create, to achieve, to accomplish, to do, to strive, to, to use the gifts and abilities that he's given us to the best of our ability. I'm not talking about that when I say that contentment means that we have Jesus, we have enough. Let me explain. Let's look at Apostle Paul's words first. Verses 12 through 13. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through Christ, through him who who strengthens me. 
Nancy Lee DeMoss is an author and speaker who tells a story about a, a church group from North Carolina that took a mission trip to the island of Tobago in the, in the um, Caribbean. And on the final day, the pastor of the North Carolina church was leading worship in, in a leper colony. And um, he asked if anybody had a favorite song that they wanted to be sung. When he made the request, a woman turned around and he saw the most disfigured face he'd ever seen. She had no ears. She had no lips. She had no nose. She raised a fingerless hand and asked, could we sing Count Your Blessings? The pastor started the song but couldn't finish it. Someone later commented, I suppose you'll never be able to sing that song again. He answered, no, I'll sing it again. Just Never the same way. Contentment doesn't always come naturally to us, does it? We're not typically born with contentment. It's not a gift. It's not innate. As our tendency is, as I said, to look for what's next, to look for what's better. Rather than perhaps learning, as Paul writes, learning the secret of contentment. We can't just wish things into existence, can we? Existence, can we? Contentment is no different. It has to be learned. So I want to ask you a question. What is the one thing in your life that you're missing? One thing in your life that's separating you from joy. Okay? And you can fill in the blank in your mind. You can say it out loud if you want, but they probably don't want to do that. I will be happy when, fill in the blank, when my health improves, when I am promoted, when my kids get in a better place in life, when I graduate, when I, when I start college, when I get married, when I'm financially secure, when I, when I win that big game. How would you finish this statement? I will be happy when. Now, with your answer firmly in your mind, answer this. If your ship never comes in, if your circumstances never change, if your dream never comes true, could you be happy? If not, then you're living in the clause of discontentment. So where does true contentment reside? Where does it where does it take place? Well, contentment, first of all, is of the heart, right? It's not denying one's feelings about wanting and desiring what you can have. But instead, it exhibits a freedom from being controlled by those feelings. Contentment isn't pretending things are right when they're not. We don't bury our heads in the sand like an ostrich. But instead, it displays the peace that comes from knowing that God is bigger than any problems we will face in life. And that he, in his time and in his way, will work them all together for our good. Contentment is not a feeling of well-being contingent on keeping circumstances under control, but instead it promotes, promotes joy in spite of our circumstances, looking to God who never changes and who never varies. Contentment, in other words, is not based on external circumstances, but rather on an internal source. It's of the heart. And the majority of people in our society, where we are like thermometers, and we suffer from a, a pseudo-happiness, a, a counterfeit high that quickly evaporates. 
We hope the next superficial satisfaction will last, but eternal happy, external happiness is, is like cotton candy. It's sweet for a moment, and then it dissolves an instant later. A person who is happy because she's vacationing on Maui, her dream vacation, is a person who has only a few days to be truly happy. But a person who has learned to cultivate deep-down contentment will be a consistently joyful person wherever they are. And that kind of contentment, the kind of contentment that the Apostle Paul learned, is found in a deep, personal, intimate, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, contentment is of, of the will. We've kind of alluded to that. Contentment is a, a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because we believe that he's good, that he loves us. We accept, therefore, from God's hand that, that what he gives because he promises that all of that is needful, all that we truly need, he will supply for us. Even pain and even suffering that seemingly cannot be corrected, he can redeem in our lives. But if we never submit our will, if we never surrender to him, if we never trust in him, we will be in bondage to our desires. Like a a small tree in a Kansas wind that blows here and there. Our relationships will be poisoned with jealousy and competition and potential blessings will be sacrificed. You see, we dishonor God if we proclaim a Savior who satisfies and meets our needs, and then we live discontentedly. So, one last section. Let's drill down a little bit more into what for Paul was his secret of contentment. The first thing is, is to focus on and remember the cross of Jesus Christ. For me, living is Christ and dying is his gain. In other words, we are to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. Because of the cross, what? We are freed from guilt and shame, the chains of sin. Because of the cross, we're told our salvation is secure in him. Because of the cross, friendship with God, who created everything, is possible. And because of the cross, our future in heaven is guaranteed. That's a good perspective to have. The second thing is Paul tells us to let go of the past. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, he writes. You know, we cannot hope to ever gain contentment if we are holding on to past failures and mistakes, whether they're ours or somebody else's. And there's a difference between ignoring past wrongs and forgetting them. Forgetting means that we work through the process of forgiving others and allow God's forgiveness to cover us and them. We need to let go of such statements that begin with, I should have, or if only I would have, or if they had not. True forgiveness requires that we see the wrongs clearly. We don't ignore them. We articulate them. We release them to God, and then we walk away from them. Easier said than done, right? But this process can take time and some help But without it, we will be chained to the past and we will never have a truly contented heart. Thirdly, Paul tells us that we are to live one day at a time. 
Verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And here we go back to this idea of surrender. We surrender our timetable. We surrender our future to him. We trust in him to meet our needs. Again, discontentment is a, is a matter of wrong focus. Again, if we focus on things and others, we will be discontent. But if we focus on God living each day as a blessing from him, contentment, true contentment can come. And fourth and finally, we are to find our sufficiency in Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, this next verse is a very well known, probably the best known verse in the, in the book of Philippians. One of the verses you see a lot in our culture that's quoted. I'm able to do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength, who, who strengthens me. Powerful verse, great verse, one of my favorites, but sometimes it's maybe a little bit misunderstood or misapplied. Let me explain. This verse does not mean that I can literally do anything. I can try as hard as I want. I can practice as much as I want. I will never, ever be a better shooter than Steph Curry, right? I can practice hours and hours and hours. I will never perform better than it's Hawk Perlman, the great string player. I can work and work and work. I will never, ever outsing Christina Aguilera. I was going to say Lady Gaga, not a huge fan. So outsing Christina Aguilera. What Paul, what Paul is not saying that we have, we become supermen or superwomen. We have unlimited strength in our own beings. We do have the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can overcome. We can persevere. We can do many wonderful things through Christ the Lord. But it's not saying that I can become a better basketball player, singer, or, or string player. What Paul is saying here is that in the middle of any circumstance in his life, remember he had some horrible circumstances, prison, possible execution. We know from Scripture he was beaten and stoned, left for dead. He was rejected. He went through personal, physical pain and hardship, loneliness, betrayal. He's saying in the middle of all those circumstances, I've learned to be content because I've learned that Jesus Christ is enough. Tim Vanderveen from Spring Lake, Michigan, was a student at Hope College in Michigan, one of those all-American guys, tall, good-looking, warm, great personality. Everybody on campus liked him. Uh, in the early 90s, he graduated from college, took a job, and nobody was surprised when he shot quickly up the corporate ladder. And then one day on a November afternoon, he called his good friend and former professor, Tim Brown. Professor Brown said, hey, Tim, how you doing? Tim responded, I'm not doing so good. Professor Brown said, what's up with you? Well, I'm in the hospital in Grand Rapids. I got the flu or something. My folks are out of the country. Well, I'm going to be in Grand Rapids later today. Maybe I can stop by and see. Would that be okay? Tim said, I'd like that a lot. By the time Professor Brown visited Tim, the doctors had already been there. It was not the flu. In fact, it was leukemia. Move ahead to three years later. It roomed 52-55 in the hospital. And Professor Brown walks into Tim's room, and his, Tim's mother is sitting in the cro- corner crying. Tim is lying on his side. His hair isn't curly anymore. He has skinny little legs. They have a, position, a pillow position between them. 
doesn't have enough energy to look at his professor, so Professor Brown got on one knee so he could look at each other eye to eye. And he said, hi, Tim. Tim said, hi, Prof. And there was a long, awkward pause. And Professor Brown had been a pastor for many years, 20 years. He still didn't know what to say in these situations. Tim broke the silence. I've learned something. Well, the professor knew this much at least. You don't trifle with the words of somebody who's about to die. You just listen carefully. So he said, tell me, Tim, what have you learned? Tim said, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. I don't get it. What do you, what do you mean by that, Tim? Well, it's not like a life. Life is not like a VCR. You can't fast forward through the bad parts. Long pause. And then Tim interrupted the silence again to say, but I have learned this, that Jesus Christ is in every frame of my life. And right now, that's just enough. True contentment that is not based upon what you have or don't have, that is not based upon what you experience or don't experience, comes from learning the lesson that Paul learned and that Tim learned, that that leper learned, that Jesus is enough. If we know Jesus Christ, we have a God who hears us, who loves us unconditionally, more than we can ever imagine. If we know Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us to change us and to transform us and to empower us and to help us. If we know Jesus Christ, we have all of heaven and unbelievable things waiting for us. And if we have Jesus Christ, we have grace for every sin that we have committed, every sin that we will commit. And if we have Jesus Christ, we have an anchor for every storm, no matter what the circumstances may be in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. We have enough. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. May God help us to learn the secret of contentment, that Jesus Christ is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that was written nearly 2,000 years ago. We thank you for the lessons that the Apostle Paul learned in the midst of all sorts of very difficult and hard circumstances. And he learned that you are enough. Lord, we ask that you would help us to learn to be more content. It's so easy to get focused on what we don't have or what we want next or the next big thing. And Lord, help us to, to know when we've crossed that line between setting goals and ambition and hard work and using our gifts and abilities to the best of our ability. When we've crossed that line from there into envy and jealousy and discontentedness. So Lord, help us to learn from you to be content in you and to know that you are truly 
enough in every circumstance. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.